0: In its exciting new season, the Emmy-nominated National Geographic series Brain Games merges brain power with star power as celebrities perform challenges that reveal the science behind what makes us tick. Host Keegan-Michael Key leads willing victims from Anthony Anderson to Kristen Bell to Mark Cuban through fun and highly entertaining interactive games, illusions, and social experiments to help them realize their untapped brain potential. It's the perfect television series for the whole family. Brain Games is for your consideration for outstanding hosted nonfiction series or special and all other eligible categories. For more information, visit natgeotv.com f-y-c. That's n-a-t-g-e-o-t-v dot com f-y-c. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of The Discourse on The Playlist, the show where we discuss film news, film reviews, and any other pertinent pop culture items that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today with me, I have two very special guests, very excited to have them on the show. First off, she is the editor and host of the Cup of Soul show. She also writes for Philadelphia Tribune and Awards Watch. Katya Woods, welcome. Welcome to The Discourse.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you for, for coming on the show. I think it's been a minute. You were on, I believe, and I wasn't hosting uh, the episode, but you were on our Game of Thrones, I think, season finale episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yes,
1: oh my God, I forgot. Yeah,
0: I know it's it, been. Well,
1: 2020 makes us all forget a lot. But I know. Yeah, that's right.
0: I mean, this year has already been, I mean, it's only six months, and this has already felt like more than a and year. year. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Even though that episode was just like a year ago. So, yeah, yeah. no, happy to, happy to have you back on the show.
1: Thank
0: you. Yeah, thank you. And then my other guest, she is a writer for Zora, NBC Think, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, Rhonda Raja Penrice. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, today, I'm, I'm very excited. We're going to briefly talk about *The uh, 5 Bloods, the latest uh, Spike Lee movie that's going to hit Netflix on Friday. Um, but the bulk of our discussion is we're going to be looking at the uh, the sort of underrated and overlooked Films in Spike Lee's filmography I mean he has such a vast filmography and we all love the you know the, the sort of unanimously great films um, in his filmography but uh, he's done a lot that are a little bit either under the radar or don't get as much love as uh, as they should um, so that's going to be the bulk of our discussion and we're going to get started here very quickly uh, before we do uh, just a reminder. The Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, so if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcaster of choice, be it iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Indie Beat, and anything else that pops up on our feed from time to time. Um, with the housekeeping out of the way, let's just dive in to uh, Defive Bloods which is, uh, of course, Spike Lee's latest film. Uh, as I mentioned, it's going to hit Netflix on Friday. Uh, the IMDb uh, plot synopsis is, four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Um, so yeah, as we were kind of just talking off mic before we started. This movie is, it's certainly a lot. Uh, it is a long movie. It's two hours and 34 minutes. Um but I'll just go ahead and open up the floor um and, and just ask you guys right at the top what, what you thought of of Spike's latest film.
1: Um I'm gonna say that if it I love that I thought that it was a, a topic that was so um overdue. You know, in high school I wrote a report on my cousin Mike, who is a Vietnam veteran, and and that steered me to learning more about black Vietnam vets. Cause like around that time, Platoon and all these other movies, Hamburger Hills were coming out. And um, there were black characters, but we never got their perspective. And then having taken a course in college, I dived into it more in reading books and watching videos and having speakers and being like, when are we gonna get a movie about these guys, you know, and, and, and for him, to show you, you know, again, black people are not monoclethics. So for him to give you, um, different perspectives, uh, I thought was very important and so overdue. Hmm.
2: I think it, the one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was to see like these um, older black actors have so much in their tank. Um, oh, no pun intended. But um, to, I don't think a lot of times when we see people in general, who are older, that we see them have lives. And that was what was most fascinating with me. And I'm also always impressed that as much as um, Spike Lee is done, like I think in this movie, and I don't know if you know this too, Katia, but he does, um, I like the things that he does as a director. And someone pointed out to me that he's probably using drones and, you know, to be at this stage of your career and be able to still find new ways to tell a story visually is
1: very impressive to me. Yeah. I agree too. And I just want to add thing. Spikes is something in, in, in our round table where the other thing that I love that he said is, if you ever get to the point, and he's in his fourth decade of directing, if you ever get to the point Well, you don't feel you have to learn anything, then it's like time to stop. And he he felt like you know with this project, even though you know this is his fourth decade, um, directing that he was still learning new things and discovering new things about himself as a director and filmmaking.
0: That's one of the things I really took to from the movie. Um, And that's, that's a a fantastic (laughs) quote, quote that, that you just like, you know, that, that uh, yeah, that's just, just awesome. that it's like, if you're not learning anymore or you're, you know, you know, it's just time to, to hang it up. And so that's, that's one of the things I really took to about this movie. Um, And he's always been good about this before in terms of like using historical footage and sort of linking when he's doing, whether he's doing a period piece like malcolm x and he's sort of linking it to present day what's going on at the time uh, or vice versa i guess in the case of the five bloods it's both a period piece and present day um but like he's always been great at that but the other thing that i took to this movie as well is the the constant the shifting of aspect ratios Mm -hmm. in the movie as well uh was another thing that i really liked that it that it it went to like one three three for the the uh Vietnam sequences uh, for the for the Vietnam War sequences, and then it would go to could um, be letterboxed for like the first hour of the movie, and then once they go, in, you know, into the jungle in present day, then it gets it the the screen fills out, and I I I really really dug that as well.
2: Yes, and that, and the um, one of the really really cool things, Katia is referencing our African American Film Critics Association roundtable. Um, virtual roundtable that we did. And it was really cool also to see Spike Lee and Delroy Lindo um, interact. And so like their relationship spans, you know, several movies and that kind of shorthand they have with each other. And even when they were talking about some of the things that they improvise. So I just think it's a very ambitious and creative film. And, um, just one, I don't think without Netflix, you know, not to be like, not to plug anyone, but I don't think without the streaming universe we would have. I
0: agree. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I I think to, to be able to, and that's been one of the good things about Netflix is that when they, when they get a established filmmaker, like Lee, they sort of entrust them to, um, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know how the inner workings of these work, but it certainly seems like these filmmakers of note, when they make a movie on Netflix, they get carte blanche. And so, you know, just, just seeing him use it in a way that I feel is, um, you know, pretty, pretty disciplined and pretty like, I I don't know. It's just, it's sometimes his movies can be messy and I feel like this movie is both a lot, but I feel like it's very focused and very like it, it, tells exactly the story that it wants to tell. And I feel like it, it does it in a way that's very creative. It's very exciting. It's very heartbreaking at times. Um, it, it's just um, extremely well done. And I'm glad you, first of all, that's awesome that you guys got to see, have a round table with uh, Spike Lee and Delroy Lindo. Um, we have to, um, we have to talk about Delroy Lindo's performance in this movie as well. Cause he's just, I, I, I mean, the performances all around are incredible, but I just was like, easily the best performance i've seen this year i think
2: and jonathan majors joined us too so
0: oh awesome who's also great in this movie (laughs) yes
2: Yes. i have been on
1: this campaign for him yes um for a while and was singing his phrases and was heartbroken that he got lost in the award season shuffle for his performance in the last black man in san francisco which to me is still outstanding Yeah, he Um, was incredible. Yeah, and Delroy, though, this is, I believe, their fourth film together, him and Spike, and Delroy is one of those guys that you know his face, right? Most people know his face, but they may not know his name, but that you remember the performance, no matter how big or small. There's something about him, I was just thinking about it today, knowing that we were going to discuss this. It's He has a way about him that can't be taught in acting class. He's just a natural. It's not just his words, but his body movement. It's like in his DNA, so to say, for lack of a better word. I'm like trying to be descriptive about it. And he's one of those people, no matter who he plays, because he's also really good on the good fight. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You believe him. You know how you watch, like we've watched enough movies, where you see some people and you're like, Oh, no, still not there. Not with him. Like you really believe him. And I think with this, he finally, I hope, and I'm praying, you know, you never know with these things that he gets the recognition that is so overdue that he gets out of the, the, the group, so to say, and he gets pushed to the front a lot of that.
2: Yeah. He's, I think it's because he's very thoughtful, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I think he's, he's very thoughtful about, um, his performances. And, um, like, even when he was talking with us, you know, like even though Crooklyn and Malcolm X were so, um, were like several many, well, many years ago, um, he still seems to remember, um, the choices he made from those, you know, films. And I think that, um, he just shows a lot of care and he, he's um takes stewardship over these characters that he plays
0: absolutely I I couldn't help but think like I I remember seeing um a quote um or maybe it wasn't a quote but just like a a bit of trivia when he did uh, Crooklyn uh that he was actually um he was actually afraid to do it uh because he Mm -hmm. didn't know how to work around child actors (laughs) um but like you wouldn't get that watching the movie um because he is so in in it and so good and and so it just I think it goes to that care that you're talking about that he is just so care you know cares and is so thoughtful about his performances that he you know despite that fear made it work
2: yeah
1: yeah yeah and you know what else with him is he has played he's not afraid to play dark right Oh yeah. And sure. that's what I love about him too because again, we have a lot of people in this industry that always want to be the hero and like, And he's like he said um in the round table he said he feels at this stage in his life he still has m- so much more to give. And I think the one thing about getting older, not to sound like I'm 110, but as you get older in your life, you're more sure of who you are. And I think with him being an actor and playing these characters, which at times are hard to like, right? And hard to root for. But somehow you find their humanity because of his fearlessness. And I feel like in this movie, you know, his character does some stuff where you're just like, just leave him. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, But at the same token, you understand why they can't and that's a credit to him because he's giving you all of these things even when there's no dialogue it's like in his face and he just is a man that is drowning
2: yeah he layers his performances so it's never really all good or all bad it's just real
0: absolutely yeah, absolutely. um No, that's a and that's a good point about the there's there about the moments in the movie where you're just like, why don't you just leave him behind? Like he's kind of a you know he can be a jerk, but you know you you just you know it's like you mentioned he's he's just real. You 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 understand that it's like this is a person who's hurting. This is a person who is you know at, all the characters in this movie are. are hurting and suffering in some way, but you can tell that he, you know, he suffered the most PTSD from, uh, from their initial touring days. Um, so it just, uh, yeah, it's just a, a pretty immense performance.
1: Yeah, I mean, remember, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, place, He said he volunteered, the others got drafted. And that's a huge difference, right? right. When you are kind of like your, your ticket gets punched and you really don't want to go, but you're like, let me get this over with. And then, I can put it behind me. But not only did he volunteer, he volunteered multiple times, right? And which in itself, you're saying to yourself, huh? But he, he, in his mind, there was like this thing, I'm going to do this. And me doing this will help me get here. And that connect was never made. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, I love how they did it because it wasn't preachy. It was like in camera and conversation. Do you know
0: what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that I I totally, until you mentioned oh. it, I had forgotten that bit of information from the movie that, um, as I mentioned off mic, I just watched it this afternoon. So I'm still <laughs> processing okay. a bit, but yeah, I mean, that is, that is the huge, huge difference that, uh, that, you know, he, he, and everyone else just kind of, you know, drafted where he, yeah, he, he chose to go in and she chose to enlist. And that's a whole nother, whole nother layer. Um one thing I also another creative choice I, I wanted to point out. I was curious what you guys thought about, because at first I was a little I was a little off put by it, and then I was like, and then I was really on board the choice in the in the flashback sequences. Um the 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 present day ensemble, Delroy Lindo, Clark Peters, ICO Whitlock Jr., and Norm Lewis. Um they in the flashback sequences, they still play them so. and they don't, de- yeah, <laughs> they don't de-age them. They don't do anything like that. And then, uh, and then, of course, their fallen leader or their fallen commander, who they're going to um to find their remains, played by Chadwick Boseman in the flashbacks, is just. I mean, he never got to be older in the movie. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a spoiler because uh, that's the plot. But um, but I just thought that was an interesting choice to to still have them be the age they are in present day in those flashbacks and just to show that state that, again, at first I was off put, but I'm like, oh, to show that state that they've never really left here. um, Yeah, that it stays stays with you.
2: That it stays with you. That's like, um, you know, the greater symbolism of it is this experience will never leave them. This trauma never leaves you.
1: Yeah. And they also did it like, I liked how they did it, right? They maybe dyed their hair, um, did some makeup, maybe zoomed the camera back. But I also liked how the action that they had them doing wasn't like unbelievable. Like nobody's doing forward flips and stuff, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, where you're like, okay, now we're getting hokey. It was still respectful and believable, which I think, you know, was conscientious because... I don't know if it was in their budget to do the de aging, and I wasn't too crazy about it with um, the Irishman, Mm -hmm. but I I liked how they did it, and it made it um, smooth going from present to 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 past, and it blended in with with Chadwick, who is no disrespect, like thirty years younger than them.
0: Right. No, I thought that. Yeah, I thought that was really, really, really graceful way to do it for sure. Um. I'm trying to think, are there any other um any other performances or any other pieces of the movie that you guys wanted to touch on?
2: Well, I guess since we brought up Jonathan, we should talk about how, you know, he and um he and Delroy are like really good at um, you know, having that tense father-son dynamic where you feel that there's love there, but they just are just two different men and they're bumping heads,
1: you know? Yeah. I mean, I said in my review, I said, um, David, David loves his father, yes. but he doesn't like him. Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know I mean, I think, I think, um, and then and I'm going to try to say this in a way it doesn't give anything away. And then Paul looks at his son as all the things he never got a chance to be. mm mm-hmm because his son has choices, right? He got to go to college. He gets to choose his career. Like he's setting his own tone for his life. Whereas because of the circumstances and, and, and probably economic situation, uh, Paul never had that. He Like the military, this war was supposed to help him have choices. So he definitely, It's it's... You know what I mean? Why he loves his son, it's a reminder of all the things he didn't have. So the two of them are conflicted, but, but they worse together.
2: But they also have tension because, you know, Paul has a idea of what a man is, and David has a different idea of what
1: a man is. So, oh, yeah. And also his politics are.
2: Yeah. You know. Different. Um-
0: Yes, to say the least.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that in itself is, you know, I mean, David went to an HBCU. That's Mm -hmm. all you need to know. And (laughs) he's looking at his father like, how did you support me in this, but then your politics are over here? Like, what happened? Yeah, You know?
0: yeah absolutely i and i thought that was a fascinating that was such a fascinating layer to the movie that i didn't expect um to to uh for that to to be the case for the you know the character to um have the politics that he does and and a certain representation visual representation of those politics sort of making its way through the movie sort of being pretty prominent um and so i thought that was also like i i didn't expect that and that just added a another fascinating complicated layer to this whole thing
1: oh yeah you know definitely but it made it it made it good and it made it a nice surprise because you really the trailer gave none of that away which i like
0: oh yeah and i i usually am somebody um i i watched the trailer and i usually i usually don't watch trailer before movies unless it plays in front of a movie in the theater which haven't been able to do for months so i usually (laughs) just i usually try to avoid trailers because i like to go in as cold as possible but i did watch this one and i i agree that this one gave almost nothing away um it was a fantastic trailer uh to boot but yeah i didn't i i didn't really gather what the movie was about from it and it's i still felt like it was very fresh going in
2: but in a spike movie i don't care how many different trailers you see how many different cuts i don't think that you ever really know what a Spike Lee movie is until you see it
0: exactly because you have to yeah exactly I 100% uh and and because and it's different every time too that's yeah. that's the other thing that that's amazing is like you you know the trademarks like you know uh this like us uh, you know certain shots he's going to use uh, certain like style but for but for the most part it's like everything is is new and and unexpected each time um
2: and for the most part you know it's going to be predominantly black but it's so it, he's just not ever telling the same story ever he may be exploring some of the same themes but he's just never ever telling the same story
0: absolutely uh any other thoughts before we move on to the next section of uh of the show
2: no 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 no, no. i think we covered it
0: <laughs> i think so too uh, and that's that yeah that's our take on Defive bloods um we're all it sounds like we're all very positive on the movie and uh yeah as I, as i mentioned uh this episode will either drop the day before or the day that it is on netflix so uh it's available so please go watch it but yeah let's go ahead and move on to the the next section where we're going to look at uh, some of the more underrated and overlooked uh films in spike lee's filmography and um i guess the one i want to kick off with because i i i uh Rhonda, we were talking about off mic about this, because uh, I, I started the list with School Days, uh, which is which is one I wanted to highlight. And uh, you had mentioned that, uh, or I'd asked me why it was on this list, because it was, um, you know, in, in the black community, it's prominently, uh, it's it's a pretty highly regarded movie. And that's something I didn't know with the experience that I have. So I was just wondering, uh, I guess I would pass starting, I would pass that to you because I'd, I'd love to uh, hear more on that.
2: Oh, yes. If you, I mean, um, and Katya can back me up on this, but I think that if you ask, um, you know, a group of black folks um, who are, have um, grown up, especially with Spike's films to rank them, School Days is going to be in your top three, at least. Um, For, and especially for people who had a black college experience, for people who Um, are familiar with black sororities and fraternities, um, that's gonna rank, rate very highly. So, and then, in it is just so much cultural richness in it, where you, from, you know, seeing step shows to um, talking about politics, um, and, you know, even talking about classism, And so forth. It's just so much in it that resonates with so many different people.
1: I mean, I agree. This was, this movie came out like my senior year in high school, Mm -hmm. right? As I was making that transition of where I wanted to go to school and a lot of, and then having rewatched it after having my, had my college experience a lot of that stuff is so accurate. You know, you had the kids that were in the BSU, the Black Student Union. You had the fraternity folks and how they clashed. You know, they just felt the fraternity people just cared about parties and, you know, that type of stuff and, 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 and their stuff. And um, Esposito's character and Lawrence Fish character were really reminding me a lot of people that I went to school with. You know what I mean? Uh, Even the scene, like when I went to Temple, the football team was not very good, where they're at homecoming, and we would just say, okay, we just need you to win this homecoming game. Like, can we at least win homecoming? And when Temple wouldn't, we would have the same reaction. Like, you know, I just remember my senior being like, I've been here for four years. Can you at least put together four quarters, you know? And all of these kinds of reactions are you can tell that not only he plucked from his experience but he he was tuned in what was going on on college campuses um at the time and also you know just the people that were in it you know Lawrence oh, yes. Fishburne uh, and John Carlos Spazito uh Tisha Campbell Jasmine Guy um uh, Kadeem Hardison was in it too he played one of one of the friends uh, it's just like it's a who's who, who are actors still working, still relevant, and 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 he just had a knack of I don't know what it is about Spike where he can just pick talent. And the other thing is, I know Tyler Perry gets a lot of credit for you know Cicely Tyson and for Felicia <laughs> Rashad and giving these women work, but uh, Spike Lee single-handedly reintroduced Ruby D and Ozzie David to a whole new generation. Like, there was a whole generation out there, shamefully, that was not aware of their work. And they, and he gave them a platform to play full characters at a mature age. And then also,
2: I mean, behind the scenes can, um, talent, I mean, Rufy Carter was the um, costume designer for this film.
1: Absolutely.
2: So this absolutely. was, this was her... This was her Hollywood debut.
1: Yeah, and you can see, like, her touches. Like, now that we're more used to um, her style, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she definitely paints the whole thing out and where she creates stories within the costuming for these individuals, do you know what I mean? And 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 just the, the coloring, and again, I just, it's it's a very amazing thing and I, I just i love that movie because again it does remind me of you know you look at it and you immediately are like yeah he got it on the money as far as college
0: that's yeah. fantastic and yeah like i said that's that's something i i had no idea and i just watched the movie about a month and a half ago for the first time mm-hmm. um and and so it's i you know i was just wa- you know watching it as you know as as a, a just you know as a college movie but like to, to hear how just how perfect and how much it hits home um is really is really awesome to hear and i'm also glad you brought up the uh ruthie carter i mean because then she went on i don't know how many films they worked on together after this i mean she but she was a uh, lot of them she a lot of she was a <laughs> costume designer for a lot of his movies uh you know like, she, she did, did
2: malcolm x with him too. did malcolm
0: x with him exactly and then um yeah you have just lifelong pretty much lifelong um collaborations here you know Aussie Davis you mentioned Bill Nunn as well um just just a ton of people that that got their start with him in this movie
2: well she tells um a story um actually I guess when she first met Spike she was working in theater and um he was kind of a person that would check in with her and um would encourage her and so forth. So um, I think <clears throat> his casting director, Robbie Reed, she and Ruthie Carter, if I'm telling it correctly, had gone to Hampton together and they were friends. And I guess she had done a play in LA and Spike came and saw her work. And she at that time was not doing film and TV yet, but he would be encouraging to her. Oh,
0: awesome. I think, I feel like I had heard that somewhere i'm i'm trying to remember i we uh, my wife and i watched the um they've got to have us documentary on netflix and they mm-hmm. th- then they interviewed her and i feel like it, there was i i think that's where i heard it from that she mentioned yeah, she, that uh, she, she, she
1: talked about it on there she talked about how she had her drawings, you know and she's going down to brooklyn and you know she you know she had no idea what to expect but there she in costume painted out like you know describe what her vision for for the film and again um we always got also got to talk about ernest dickerson but you also oh, yeah, of yeah. The, um spike lee chain spike
2: all of them preston yeah. holmes i mean yeah. i used I, I lived in new york during you know spikes first run And whenever you see, like every, you know, every movie they had, they had their like jackets, you know, when people wearing varsity jackets were a thing. So every time you saw 40 Acres and a Mule and when they made Malcolm X and people had the X jackets, whenever you saw them, people would
1: just be like, how can I get one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, he said also something else that we should definitely intertwine in the discussion I don't just make the movies. I'm involved with the marketing. Oh, for sure. How the the poster goes um, and everything. And you can, and you definitely can see that. Like he has a vision on how this, these, his films um, are rolled out. And the other thing that I like about people that have worked with Spike is he trusts his people. Like Ernest Dickerson was like, "Wait for me. I want to shoot Malcolm X." He was he was doing mm-hmm. his own thing, and Spike waited. Like Spike could have easily gotten anybody to do it because it's Malcolm X and Denzel Washington. I don't think it was hard for to get people to step up to the plate. But Ernest Dickerson was like, "I want to be the one to shoot this," and and Spike said, "Okay, I'm going to wait for you." Which... That's
0: right. He was directing Juice at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which and sure-
2: I yeah. Sorry, Oh no! And I was like, I know um, Art Sims, who's um, helped, whose work with Spike on School Days, Jungle Fever, Mo Better Blues, um, Four Little Girls, all of that. And one of the things that he has told me is that you know when you work with Spike, it's different because Art had Art Sims created um, New Jack City, the um, key art for New Jack City, and he said that Spike is more like a collaborator. It's not like you kind of go in, take notes and come back.
1: You do it together. It, it's exactly. And that explains, like if you really look at all his his people, right, as we're discussing these movies, mm-hmm. a lot of them has made have made three, four movies. And sometimes the part is not very big, but they just like working with Spike yeah they're like they're like it's one of the few times where i'm not like how much is the money how big is a part they're like are you doing this it's him i'm in
2: yes and when i met um win thomas who's a production designer he's actually on the academy board of governors um and he did the production design for hidden figures and he had been doing production design before he met spike but just like all that, you know, goes into it. But he's someone who's worked on several different films with Spike as well. So it's just amazing. And I, I know that I read something where he said, like, you know, people think that, you know, you he said you don't make a film alone. And he was talking about choosing going to NYU as opposed to um, USC. And he said he didn't know anyone in um, California, but in New York, that's where he was from. And so that was very helpful when he started making his movies because he had friends. He could call on his family and all this stuff and you just cannot make a movie by yourself. Even though he does a lot though. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's the
1: writer, the producer, the director, the marketing (laughs) (laughs) visionary. But can we just say that also comes, I think, from being an entrepreneur and also from his first film where he didn't have the luxury to outsource those things. Like he wasn't fortunate enough to have for his first major film, uh, $5 million, $10 million. Like he literally made it off the muscle. So he had to, in order to compensate for not having the budget, he just had to learn uh, to do all these other things. And I think it just kind of like became in his DNA, it became um, natural Well, well, it comes from, you know, when you
2: think about how much he loves sports and you think in order for you to put like a championship team together, you have to be able to find players and Spike has been able to find players like, you know, he's been able to find those MVPs and superstars in their own right. And they come together to create something
1: extraordinary. Oh, for sure oh one one thousand
0: percent absolutely which i think honestly a couple of those statements made in there um if if we're if we're done on school days is a pretty good segue to another movie we're going to talk about um just from the standpoint you mentioned that you know not having with with she's got to have it not having the budget and you know basically having to do a single take for every Mm -hmm. single thing uh and then going and assembling a um you know, just like an NBA team assembling all-stars, uh, which he is just an expert at doing, uh, I was, that was going to bring me to to get on the bus um, oh, yeah. from 1996, because apparently that film was filmed in just three weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and it was just, and it came out, I think, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it came out a year to the day from the Million Man March, so they they got it out pretty quickly. Um, but uh, this was another one I, I caught up with uh, recently that I hadn't seen uh prior to just catching up on a lot of his movies uh for uh Defy Bloods and um and it's also on Netflix I believe right now to watch but um mm-hmm. this was one that just kind of blew me away from uh sim- similarly to school days, just the the amount of talent that he was able to um to get and from what seems like I could be wrong but it just certainly feels like improvisation through a lot of the movie. Um, amongst the actors but um yeah I thought this one was was good and it was kind of kind of under my radar um kind of under my radar a little bit.
2: Yeah it did come out the um a year after the Million Man March but also Spike is very very good at capturing important moments in history and for at that time when the Million Man March I was in New York during that time and so I you just if you were black and you had to be under a rock if you didn't know that the Million Man March was happening. And it was so impactful for so many um many of the men who attended and just like one of the great things about get on the bus that actually relates to the five bloods is to see these all these you see these black men and they're all different. And and the thing that you get from get on the bus that each each character is going to the march for different reasons. And there's a wide variety of age. They come from various backgrounds. And so that's one of the things I enjoy
1: about the film. Absolutely. Oh, th- that that movie is, I think that's what I always loved about Spike, right? He has, without, again, beating you over the head, has shown you that Black people are not monocolotic. He gives you layered. He gives you um people that are complicated, hard to like, right? There are a couple mm-hmm. characters on there that you wanted to throw off the bus. You know <laughs> <I mean>? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and 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 it's you just know, like it's hot, stuff is happening, you know, these these bus rides can be a bit much. And if you got some characters on there, um you know Andrew Brower plays these characters so well. I mean he's somebody that I have championed for so long and he's out of this world good and we could do a podcast just on him but (laughs) yeah you know he's very smug and on there and Wendell Pierce's character and you're just like it's but again it gives you an insight that although these men have not a not a lot in common right the one thing they do have in common is the the experience of being a Black man in America. And it's like Rhonda said is, um, even though in, in his current film, these men have different point of entries and they have dealt with their pain differently, but they all, again, they know what it's like to walk through the world as a Black man. And and if nothing else, right, that's the thing that bonds them.
2: When also, I mean, when you think about um, Spike Lee's work overall, and you think about all the different black men that you've seen um, based on like their diversity and careers and their different um, relationships and so forth. I mean, he probably more than any other director I can name has really put in a lot of work in showing the complexities and, you know, many, many um, layers to black men. And um, especially in terms of masculinity, their relationship, to um the United States as, at large in particular and so forth. I don't think that there's anyone who's had a broader um I don't I can't think of a filmmaker who's um painted a broader portrait than um Spike. And that probably owes a lot to the fact that he went to an all black male college, Morehouse.
1: Oh for sure. For sure.
0: Oh absolutely um yeah and I, I i'm glad you the one thing you brought up about um about the the different the different backgrounds of the different marches or, sorry excuse me going to the march for different reasons because that is there's one scene in particular that i thought of i i actually thought of a lot of i thought of this movie a lot while watching the bloods i guess is what I was <laughs> yes. down, yeah specifically yeah. specifically uh uh yeah specifically the um the sequence where they where they pick up is it is it Wendell Pierce they pick up? Uh, from, yes, yes, yes,
1: that's the one where where they're like, Well, why are you why did you go?
0: Yeah, exactly. And he's like, Oh, I'm I'm going to network, I'm going to sell cars. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. and, and they're and like, What? Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly yeah exactly he, he like throws the you know and he throws his republican views out there and they're like wait <laughs> and, and, uh, well, he's uh, yeah.
2: always good at having
1: a republican
2: they can't yeah. say that spike lee doesn't represent no him. he doesn't
1: he, <laughs> he and he will make them not be apol. the character will never be apologetic about being a republican they'll be mm. like really standing firm on it and um yeah they're yeah, very I, proud they're not shameful i don't know and i'm like you know and he he's on the, like you said ryan he's on the bus with all these men and they're like what <laughs> that were, yeah that,
2: that's a good oh yeah you love that scene it's like one of those spike <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: so good it's so good um yeah it's so good and then my favorite line when the, there's the there's the couple of course that are having uh their issues, and then one of them, as, as Wendell Pierce has given his speech, reveals that, that he's also a Republican, and Andre Brower goes, a gay black Republican, now I know I've seen everything. <laughs>
1: exactly, <laughs> can we talk a little bit about what fortitude in, for Spike to have? Like, we gotta, we gotta talk about this, because this is before marriage equality, way before marriage equality. Um, 1996, a black male couple, unapologetically out in the mix of all these men. And then you're going to throw in that you're a Republican. I mean, you know, I'm sure some people read the script and were like, are you sure you want to do this? And knowing Spike, he's like, oh, 100% we're doing this. Well, he's a New Yorker, so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course. I'm not, I I don't feel like he would shy away from it, but I can definitely see like a studio head or somebody that, you know what I mean, is greenlining this going like, ooh, I don't know about this. You know, and him being like, we're, "We're gonna do it." You know, but
2: that's the thing. Like, we get on the bus. They didn't green light it. I think, um, I want to say, fifteen um, black men invested and got this movie made. That is
1: true. It was a distribution thing. You're correct, yeah.
0: Rhonda. That is true. I, I I did read that that, and they got a bunch. They got a ton of independent financing and people chipped together to to make it. And then I think I don't remember who. I think Sony I think, put it out, but. Whoever did just bought it after they made yeah, it. Yeah,
2: because Reuben Cannon—it's um, I want to say it's the first film he produced, but maybe not. But it was definitely one of his early films, transitioning from um, casting
1: agent to producer. You're right. It's Reuben Cannon, Barry Rosenbush, and um, Bill Borden
0: and then like last thing i guess i would i would throw in about it is i'd love to find if if they're out there any sort of interview or anything with with the with the screenwriter of the movie with reggie rock oh likewise. reggie i know uh, reggie, uh, I know reggie. Uh, oh you know reggie okay because it's
2: i don't know him well i mean i've spoken to him i like from time to time we communicate <laughs>
0: well because you, you this movie is so you know full of so many great characters very different characters and but mm-hmm. i but he wrote this based on his experience going to the million march so what i'm wondering is like it did he did he encounter were these the people that he encountered and then based on um oh. like, like like that I, I don't know i'd love to i'm sure to find that out yeah that makes sense
2: and we have to see when um yeah we we'll have to come back we'll have to see when um let's see get on the bus what is the <laughs> like it was done in 96 yeah so yeah so we gotta we gotta arrange something so we can all talk about this
0: absolutely <laughs> would would love to um any other any other thoughts and get on the bus before we move on to some other films no
1: I'm good, you good uh, well, me too
0: yeah all right well I guess the i I don't want to mix the next two together because they're very different I guess the only thing that they are similar is that they are both um, both HBO documentaries I guess the only similarity between mm-hmm. them uh, of course I'm talking of course of about both four little girls and uh, when the levees broke a requiem in four acts, but we can, uh, let's, we'll start with four little girls, um, which I, I had actually never seen before prior to a couple days ago, uh, before making this list. And, um, and I chose it, even though it's acclaimed, it's always hard, I guess, with HBO documentaries, um, at least choosing it between, underrated and overlooked because i know both films are acclaimed but i i think maybe just the accessibility at both the times 1997 and 2006 not everyone had uh, HBO.
2: hbo yeah yeah so
0: so i still feel like they're underseen uh, but they're both on hbo now/max slash Max, so if people are listening definitely uh yeah. go watch them they're available but um i guess we'll start with four little girls but yeah i'd never seen it prior and um, I mean was
2: that was
0: that, It was it, Oscar nominated. It was Oscar nominated. Oh wow! I I must have missed. It was Oscar nominated. Wow, it
1: was an Oscar nominated. And um, I think the beauty about that film is, and it's hard to watch, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
1: And and because you just think about that horrendous act is what Spike did is he let the he let the story lead him.
2: Yeah. Oh, always.
1: I, and and I just think. You have to be so, you have to treat it with so much love, even though it's a horrendous thing because these people's families, these people are still living, you know, and, and he, he gave it that, you know, and I'm sure it was hard to shoot, you know, um, but it's so important because we don't get these stories from the people it happens to.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean? And even um, Ava DuVernay and Selma, like you know, she kind of she inserts something about Four little girls. But for a lot of people, Four little girls was definitely their first introduction to the um, 1963 church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama.
1: So. Oh, for sure, it's 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 you just it's one of those things where. You know, I mean, not having been gr- grown up in that type of environment, my my grandmother, who was born into segregated South, mm-hmm. you know, d- used to tell us some stories. But th- that right there, I mean, she's from Louisiana, just really hit home in a different way. Like, wow, like they're taking out kids.
2: Yeah, I mean it was one of it was the one, one of the galvanizing events of 1963 because you had had the march on Washington and then these four little girls were killed and then John JFK was assassinated.
1: Yep, not a not a not a good time. But again, I think if we don't learn if we don't have these types of movies, right? Because as much as we have access to everything, we we all know, especially being in this medium that people don't read and don't research things like they should, a film kind of like makes it a little bit more palatable for people to learn.
2: Yeah, well, Spike,
1: just, I, Lee, Spike
2: Lee is a very underrated documentarian. I, I really enjoy his documentaries.
0: I was going to say the same thing as well. Um, and, and especially because his filmmaking style at times is, is almost can be almost documentary like, and so having the, you know, and, and even like having the sequences, uh, like where he'll have a wide shot and his, his character in just, you know, off to the right or left of frame, uh, where he just takes these vignettes. And I mean, he does that in his narrative films and then he'll do that in the documentaries as well. And, um, and it just like his documentaries are very cinematic, just like his oh, films. Sure. And so, yeah, I, I agree, especially after watching both both these documentaries for the first time. I I just thought he, yeah, I think he's an incredible documentarian. And uh, yeah, and 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 Katya, to your point too, you, you know what you're like this. This is these out there for people to watch and learn and and access and um, is is good. And it's good that these are out there. Um, and more people should watch it. I, I mean, I sat down Saturday and I knew I was like, I know what this I know the story. I know what it's about. I know this is going to be difficult to watch. But it's you, you just have to do it because you have to you know, it's just just such a vital part of American history that you just need to, you know, be educated as much as you can be.
2: Oh, I guess I should tell you guys I wrote African American History for Dummies, so like I'm a uh, historian. So
1: yeah, you know it's it's really I think like I majored in political science I did not major in journalism mm-hmm. in college, mm-hmm. but, and which it which in a way that served me because I literally that major is you read, you write, you research, you read, your yes, right, and exactly, research, and you do nothing but read history things and everything. And I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but I don't regret it because it made me dive into things and learn about things. And I love documentaries, right? Oh yeah. I, I normally would be happening this summer and I'm there with all the other nerdy folks and sitting there for five hours watching documentaries. But I think to be, to, to speak to what you guys both said, there's a certain patience mm-hmm. and there's a certain um, understanding that you have to have, I believe to be a documentarian and, and, i think he he he's always been a thoughtful filmmaker but documentaries allow him to really show that skill set to get people to open up especially with this because it's so like i said it's these are people's relatives and kids and it's hard to get you know okay do you want to go back to that time can we talk about it to get people to trust you to get people to trust you to do right by the story because i'm sure that, that there have been some requests and it has not come out well and and for him to have that type of trust i think shows who he is as a person too
2: Yeah, it comes from his background. If you think about it, I mean, his, he went to Morehouse, his father went to Morehouse, his mother went to Spelman, his grandmother went to Spelman. He comes from a family that has traditions, they have like deep roots in the South. And so, you know, and then going to a college like Morehouse, which was, um, I want to say it was founded in 1867, um, that you know, he's been entrenched in that history. And so when he comes at it, he already has a basis of knowledge. And then um, he, especially when you go to um, when the levees broke, um, although people think if they watched round the clock coverage of Hurricane Katrina, that they really had an idea of what happened, and you really don't. And when you see when the levees broke, you just are in um spike well you know he puts everything in your face you know how the country did not do right by these people
1: oh wendell pierce's segment
2: oh yeah that was heartbreaking with his father his
1: father and like the The insurance company gives him
2: four thousand dollars like oh my god like yeah he, said he paid father, for decades, decades. Yeah. Never missed a payment oh. in home
1: insurance, and these people only gave
2: him four thousand it, dollars.
1: It's it's um, it's what did he, Wendell say? His father said, "Just do right by me." Well, they, oh, he wanted he didn't he didn't want any more or any He says "Just do right by me." They didn't. Uh, uh, and the thing is and Wendell is like you know like imagine if I wasn't like his son like he's the youngest I believe he's one of four and he's like well imagine if I wasn't in a position like if we weren't in a position to help our father
2: yeah
1: how this would come out you know what I mean even worse and his father's a vet too so yeah crazy.
2: yeah heartbreaking Yeah I think we jumped
1: ahead
0: for you Ryan. (laughs) Oh no absolutely again this is this is free form this is we we have a lot to talk about in 100% free form but no no jumping ahead to Win the Levies is totally fine because that yeah that is similarly just it it enraged me and 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 Rhonda to your point where you know where you're like if you think you watched it around the clock. You you still don't have any understanding of like if, if you weren't there, have no understanding of how poorly the country treated the situation. Because um, yeah. It, yeah, it just it felt like at the time, it felt like that was what the coverage was. And and I you know and I had you know no idea watching this. And it's just it's a it's a behemoth of a documentary, but it's it's just it's so well done and. And effective because it's so deeply, deeply enraging by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 horrific, especially an area. You know, my grandmother grew up not too far from there in Port Lahash, Louisiana. And Port Lahash is as small as it sounds. <laughs> um, it is. Do they have know, a
2: strawberry festival there? I think I may have gone there. Is it
1: like I'm an hour I know is whenever Whatever we've gone, we used to go to visit, and they would say down yonder, and I'm like, I don't see anything. Like they would say, you know, do you want to go to the store? Right? There was like oh, a, yeah. My a family store, and you're just like, I don't. What do you mean we're going to walk? like i don't i don't see like i need like a location a marker right yeah. and my family's they, from mississippi <laughs> like, yeah so they're like out there in like no man's land right but you know and, and the house that, that my grand great grandfather built he built uh, with his GI, GI Bill money that he had to mm-hmm. fight for. So he bought the land and he built the house, right? Which is amazing. A man that, that did not finish primary school built this house. And they assess damage and everything. So, and also mind you, a lot of that generation, this is the second big hurricane yes. um, that they went through. So it's just the community and the people are resilient. But I think, It's just also him showing not just the property damage, but the human life damage, you know, and it definitely did look like something out of a refugee camp. And you're like, wait a minute. No, this is not some third world country. This is the United States.
0: Uh, exactly, and that whole thing was was and that whole segment was depressing too, where they were they were where they were being deliberately called refugees and and I forgot who they interviewed. they said like like refugees here in the united States like why yeah. it's like i this is my home why why am I being out as right like did we lose our citizenship just because we went through this thing that nobody asked us to go through and it's just
2: yeah Carol uh, Mosley Ron was
1: one of the people that spoke up
2: yeah um during in real time.
1: Can we also talk about um, a little bit about Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt is somebody, we Mm. always talk about all the people that do the foolery in in, in our business. Brad Pitt is someone who shows and proves. He does not make an announcement. He doesn't, he just shows up and does the work. And in this particular case, um, I think him and Angelina were still together and it, it might've been he did a movie down there and he fell in love with the area and he really... But the fact how he got involved and wanting to rebuild things, I mean, you expect Harry Connick Jr. and all these people, because this is where they're from. But him going and helping to be a part of this rebuilding process. And it wasn't about, hey, People Magazine, come see me. Hey, so-and-so, come see me. He was just like, "It's, it's the right thing to do. That's one of the things I really like about him he has jumped in into some things that people aren't aware of and doesn't talk about it. He just does it.
0: And that's, uh, that's, I love that about him too. And then he's just, you, you know, that he has, you know, he's in a certain position of power and does it for good and, and doesn't make a, and doesn't make a big deal about it. He just does it because it's the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. No, I think that's, it's yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the good ones.
2: And that's one of the things that, you know, as loud as people think Spike is, um, he's been very nurturing and encouraging to new talent and has, I remember I was, Gina Prince-Bythewood, she said that um, it had it not been, it wasn't her idea for Spike Lee to come on as a producer for Love and Basketball. But um, she said, had he not had he not been associated with her film, she doesn't know that she would have been able she would have had the film that she had.
1: Oh, yeah. And also, I love what he did with um, Alma Harrell for Honey Boy. Well, we know he teaches at NYU. Yeah. And he played her film. Most importantly, he told her, you come. It's your film talk about your film and your process to his students. And again, he doesn't have to do that. Um, and even if you look at the director's round table, you know, with him and Alphonse, and he looks at Alphonse and he says, I gotta ask you, how did you do the shot for <laughs> the beach, right? And you can just tell, like, he has been, he, has wa- he watched this film, he probably watched it more than once, he probably has analyzed, studied it, and he was like, great. I'm going to get to ask him this question. Who cares what else is going on at this round table? And then they have their own little conversation because not only is he is he a great director, but he, again, as I was saying, he's still a student.
2: Yes, and he's, I mean, he's been a professor for most of his career, too. I mean, I don't, under, like, as we're talking, I'm like... Why doesn't he have like an energy drink endorsement? Because I don't know anybody who has more energy than Spike Lee. <laughs> now, and I love how he shouts out
1: at what was it, it the Indie Spirit Awards, where with Chloe he's like, "That's my student," you know? and he's, he's looking at Ava NYU, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 such. And but I also think that what fuels him is the teaching because. Um, he gets to, you know, like we all grew up on certain movies, you know, I'm sure like if we, because we're also cinephiles, but if we tell certain somebody, oh, you know, have you seen like Lawrence of Arabia? Have you seen this? And they're like, what? And you're like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? That is hard for us. But I think what he does too is make it a little bit more palatable for a younger generation to get into these, these sweeping, effing movies that, that some of us grew up on, you know? I
2: get the sense that he's, uh, like, in a lot of things, I think he's more collaborative. I think that he also learns from them. But ultimately, like he said, he absolutely loves what he does. Like, and he's, he says he feels blessed and fortunate to be able to to do it. Like, every day he gets to make films.
0: Absolutely. Right. And that's one of my favorite things about him is that he's I mean, because that he's both a teacher and a student still, and is just he he he's he's such a cinephile, and that shows in his movies Word. also. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so no, that's what I, I agree on the energy drink endorsement too. I'm sure he doesn't have one. <laughs> yeah,
2: like oh my god, like this is like a no-brainer. Like he's gotta yeah,
1: he has a lot of energy, like when we spoke to him. He is bouncing off the walls. (laughs) He's 63. Not to say that you can't be, you know, energetic, but I think one of the reasons he's still so energetic, I think when you are a person and you do something that you love and you're literally doing your passion and he's still like, like we're all saying, he's consuming information from the world. He's, he's involved in the world. He's in it. You know what I mean? He's not sitting at the house wondering what's for lunch that that helps you also in your aging process. I'm a firm believer in that. Like we all know people that are the same age and one person is very active, still learning, and the other person is like sitting there and it's it looks like night and day. And I think for him, that what keeps him young. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: And he's um, so prolific. Like that's like, wow. He's like, since he began his career, he's literally made almost a film a year.
0: Yeah, I, I was looking through that uh, when making this list through his IMDb, even his directorial credits, there's like a hundred. He's got like a hundred credits between features and documentaries and concert films and music videos. And it's just like, he does at least something a year. And, and it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. And I was going to say, I guess, speaking, speaking of his influences and being a cinephile, I guess that might be a good segue to another film that i was going to bring up i'm actually bummed rodrigo's not here because i know he hates this movie and i want to know why uh and that's uh and that's summer of sam um
2: oh yeah lots of I, people hate it my cousin hated it but i didn't i actually like summer of sam
0: so. i i like it as well i i'm it, it's definitely very unwieldy we i can't talk today my apologies um it's definitely unwieldy for sure but it it's um you know, but it, it definitely feels like a very, um, I mean, it feels very Scorsese esque, um, which I, he's been a, a fan of um, his career. So I, I, it just feels like his sort of uh, Scorsese esque tale, and um, and yeah, it's a messy movie, and but I, I I like it, and I like it as sort of like I was just actually just talking to a, a good. Another good film friend who actually hadn't seen this movie, and uh, he's like, "Was it like Zodiac?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, this is well before Zodiac, I guess, but I guess similarly, you could." But it's the
2: Zodiac. It's the summer of the Zodiac Killer. Like I remember this, and like people would, um, when we would go out to clubs and stuff. And like no one knew what was going on, and then people would ask you like at the end of the club, you're talking to some guys, and then they'll go like, "What's your sign?" And then people would be like, "No, don't tell them," you know. And so, so I mean, it it kind of captures like that feeling. So I remember it, but I know I sent my cousin. In Chicago to see it and she was just like why did you send me to this horrible (laughs) film (laughs) (laughs) and that's
0: understandable because it is very like I mean like the the murder sequences are incredibly grisly um it's very the characters are very I mean it's about distrust and and hive mentality and so like the characters turn on one another it's it's a pretty abrasive movie at times so it's like it's understandable that someone would be frustrated by it but i don't know i think it's just like as a as a time you know as like a time capsule movie and like a a historical like a true crime true crime weaved into a a fictional narrative i i don't know I, i i like it quite a bit
1: yes oh definitely i mean it's it has well you know two things right a lot of people that are younger don't remember gritty new york like gritty, dirty, crazy, crazy (laughs) New York, right? I tell people, like, I moved to this country in 1981, and I said, I had all these expectations of seeing the New York that I'd seen in the movies, and I remember stepping out and seeing Times Square, and it was sex shops, and people were doing drugs, and the prostitutes were out, (laughs) and it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and someone would have told me, that they were going to turn that into family friendly, I would have been like, are you on crack? Look at yeah, that. was a smell, like there's a smell. If you remember old New York, it just smelled like, I, I lived in Hell's <laughs> Kitchen. So
2: when I go there now, I'm like, what? Exactly, <laughs> I, do, I do the
1: same thing, Well, sometimes I go, all the peep shops and all the stuff. And again, it's, you remember, you know, New York, it's really humid and hot and you've got garbage and pee and all that stuff. It was not, it was not an area that you would think, Oh, it's going to be touristy and we're going to take selfies. So I think with this film, I immediately started thinking about like all of that, that, that New York that a lot of people didn't get to experience. And even like him getting the details down, like, you know, fathers were afraid for their daughters that were brunettes, like, you know, uh, the thing buying with the wig, like, that was happening, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, people not wanting to be out or or to be alone. I mean, it wasn't just that. It was a whole bunch of serial killers that was going on. Oh, in, yeah. in well, it 70s. was like
2: the that era, like, I guess in the 70s, 80s, 90s, like, serial killers were, like, I guess. Uh, uh, I mean, it was an epidemic. I mean, there were a lot of serial killers. I mean, I'm sure there are now, but it. I don't think that the um, I mean, well, obviously, we still have a fascination. I mean, Netflix is Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, every true crime. I mean, the country's obsessed with true crime. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, every every decade, there are people There are still stories to tell, but to what you were saying, Kathy, I remember getting on the um, on the subway back then. They used to have um, billboards on the subway to be nice to the tourists.
1: <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Listen, I don't take the subway very often in New York because of that. Like, there's something about when I hit those steps, I just feel like I I just sense, especially in the summertime, the smell of urine and all of that, and I'm just like, you know what?
2: Well, New Yorkers are immune to that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And there's always some, some type of situation, whenever I take the subway, even when, when I lived in Philadelphia, I don't know what it is with me. It can never just be, let's get on a train and go from point A to point B. There's always some type of situation. And that might be another reason where I'm like, you know what, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm going to take the bus. I'm Uber because I, I just want to i just want to get from point a to point b
2: well in new york sometimes you're better just getting out and walking because you hit yeah, it yeah you know what i mean and it's a certain time you're not going to get anywhere get out the car and just walk it
1: yeah and you know like
2: even the yelling like there's a certain Oh, well, New York has to be loud. Yeah, and that's them. what I'm saying. Because what they're doing. destroying all of that. You got these people moving in. They're calling the police, talking about noise violations. That is New York. New York is loud. I used to talk to my grandmother. My grandmother is like, what's that in the background? And it's like, I live in New York. I don't even notice, like, noise, like, you're hearing ambulance, and you ignore oh, it. You
1: see something crazy, you're just like, "That's none of my business." We gotta, keep, <laughs> we gotta keep it moving. And I think that movie, like speaking of, we, there's a certain noise type of engagement, right? New Yorkers are loud, like they don't speak like, "Hi, how are you?" Everything is energy, right? <laughs> it's <not> big, yeah. <laughs> it is big, and you know, especially Spike being from New York, he captured that in oh, yeah. the movie. Oh, he's he's definitely
2: a big personality.
1: Oh, absolutely. But again, people who are not from New York, when they see that and they're or you've never spent a lot of time in New York, when they see that, they're like, "What? Why?" I'm like, "Is you just gotta go with it?"
0: Absolutely. And and I uh, I've only spent very minimal time in New York, unfortunately, so I don't uh, have that. Yeah, I mean, I've had enough experience to know what New Yorkers are like, but and and know that they captured it pretty well for this movie. I guess is what I'm what I'm getting at.
2: Yes, yes. So I I
1: went to college there.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs> now,
1: I lived I lived in Prince. My I grew up in Lawrenceville, so you so the train was like an hour, right? If you took the A train from hour from there to New York, so I'd a lot of weekends and stuff. But the transition from that um, '70s. 80s New York to now especially in the Times Square area is like night and day.
0: That's what I've heard. Um, Oh, it
1: definitely is. (laughs) Yeah
0: though though though, funnily enough i think it was the last time i was in new york uh, i did go to a movie at the like one of the multiplexes there in times square and there was a couple having sex a couple rows behind me so maybe <laughs> maybe some things don't change but um
2: yeah but, so I but went, if, when we were younger we were in the village and we saw a couple having sex on their car like on just on top of the car we were like okay <laughs> oh
0: man oh man <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah um I guess on that (laughs) note, (laughs)
1: hopefully they don't kick us off, right? After that, right? You're just like, all right, now.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm like, I was like, ah, there's no good segue to the next movie, (laughs) uh, at least in that regard. But we're we're gonna push through and we're gonna do it anyway. Um, another another one. I guess this maybe this this one I feel like is most like purely like there's tangible evidence of how underrated or at least underappreciated that the next movie I was going to bring up is which is Miracle at St. Anna um, just from the standpoint of like that movie um, uh, it was, I was I was I think it was my second job at the time when that movie came out I was I was assistant manager in a movie theater and I just remember I was really excited to see the movie um, and it just it just tanked just absolutely tanked in the box office at to, yeah. to the point where it's like the week after i think we had like one showing on a weekend and then it was gone from the theater um and i never really like the the, the that movie's messy too but i've never really understood why that movie didn't it didn't at least have a little bit better of fate and i thought about that movie a lot in regards to Five bloods as well and not just because they're both war movies in a certain sense but just um I I guess and in the back forth between being the past and the present but um I just was reminded too like I think some of the sequences in Miracle St. Anna are some of the best that he's ever done um at least the the battle sequences so I was I'm just uh I I'm I'm a little lost how this movie just was such a so such a flop when it came out
1: Yeah I mean I think it's a couple of things right we got to also remember um the marketing people don't always know how to market these things. Uh, the other thing is again he is the first guy to capture the World War II experience from a black point of view. There are some people out there who really do think their grandfathers won the whole darn war. But it's again, it's 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 making the leap to to buy in to buy into that narrative, right? And it, I definitely think it's one of those films that was not appreciated when it came out, but a lot of people have gone back to revisit it. That's the nice thing about these streamings and, and things like that. And uh, again, um, he's got Derek Luke in there. He's mm-hmm. got um, Las Alonzo. I believe Lost said that was his first movie. Michael right. Ailey
2: and my um, yeah
1: and Omar Benz ben ben ben. Miller who is another guy whose name you don't know but you've seen him in everything <laughs> like you know you're and then like, Martin oh, Hardwick. <laughs> exactly and you're just like well who are these guys right but you know them and and just uh again to have that perspective um I think is, is important, you know, and, and like Spike said, when it comes to these movies, especially when he's making movies about war, he, his most important audience are the veterans. Did he do right by the veterans? And the veterans appreciated him bringing that, that movie to the screen, even though, unfortunately, the, the audience didn't show up for him.
2: Oh, Carrie Washington, I forgot. Yeah, she was in there. She was the uh, attorney, right? oh yeah oh, and michael k williams was in there too yep andre it's just, holland it's like i mean it's just like you just it just gets better and better you keep scrolling
0: <laughs> it's just a who yeah there's just a who's who of people in the movie and um yeah no i i i uh that's that's good and i i thought of um start let me gather my thought on that that's uh, that's awesome that he he that the veterans feel that he's done right and that he does his due diligence and he does his research to to make sure that he's getting it right um and and the other thing i was thinking about um kate you brought up that uh that likely the five bloods wouldn't happen without the netflix money um most yeah. likely and um i mean i think i think that is evident with this movie i guess given just how poorly the movie did um you know i don't know if anyone at uh i don't know the film studio would have taken another chance like this and it also is weird that like i i and maybe this will lead into the next couple movies um and and uh i i'd be curious because i don't know if i i there just seems to be a gap a little bit of a gap um at least in terms of narrative features between this and uh red hook summer which uh, what I was going to bring up next yeah. and the and these very like small self-financed uh movies that he did and it just feels like and maybe those are just what he wanted to do to get off his chest but it almost feels like a punishment slightly for how bad miracle at st anna did but it was also frustrating because this movie came out right after his i think still his biggest box office hit which is inside man Mm -hmm. um it's coming off this movie came right off the heels of that um so i i don't know if this movie like put him in director's jail for like a little bit (laughs) uh, or or if it just you know if he just you know chose to focus on teaching and wanted to make these smaller uh personal projects to him like Red redneck summer and sweet the sweet blood of jesus but i i uh i don't know i feel like that's a gap uh i have missing
1: I mean, he talked about it in the director's table he's him and him and um Alfonso both talked about it, which is crazy, right um them their contribution to cinema and 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 what they have accomplished over the years, and they said they still have to fight for financing, oh
2: yeah, what to make the
1: movies that they want to make, and which really you know it, that in itself is a whole podcast in there where hollywood will throw money out at people that make what i call microwave movies yes they make a lot of money but are we going to care next week yeah that's because the
2: executives don't love film no and
1: and to me it's like we you know i understand you have to make these movies because they keep the lights on Mm. but then you should carve out some space within that discussion that narrative for people that actually are good at making movies and at storytelling, right? Like we can't all watch stuff blow up 24/7. Like some people can, I can't. But he, him and Alfonso really talked about this. Anytime anytime they wanted to make a film that was personal to them, that's when they would get, like for for Alfonso was with Roma. For him, it's probably was this and and same things with Santa Ana, he, and also, you know, not to to be the racial person, but he's also a black, he's a black director who's unapologetically black. And they probably over the years have offered him some stuff to direct that probably could have, you know, he could have done sleeping through it. The thing would have made a million billion dollars, but he wouldn't have been able to live with himself. So you have that other piece in there? But I definitely think it's, I think Spike does what is is, is in his heart, right? And, and why some people may be like, mm, and I think that's why he, he, like you said, is he'll jump from doing something independently and do something within the studio system because well, it feels right he, to him.
2: Well, he doesn't do as many films studio-wise. I yeah. mean, like Spike pretty much does what he does. Like Inside Man is probably, Inside Man and Black
1: Klansman are probably as studio as it got, you yeah. know? But who's um, attached though, to the project. Hmm? I said, I think you know, with you he's working with Denzel. And so, it's Brian. It's Brian Grazer. Exactly, and it's, no. it's the team attached. I don't think he would be doing like I don't know, Fast and the Furious ten. Like, oh no! You, you no. Know, you got the <laughs> but I now
2: now I don't like narratively. I don't like Red Hook Summer. Um, but always. But even when the thing about and probably the blood, sweet blood of Jesus too. But the thing about Spike Lee is even when you're not in the story, the performances, the cinematography, like the look. I mean, they the filmmaking it. is so stunning that you cannot look away.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's kind of why I put a movie like Red Hook Summer on this list, just from the standpoint of like, I'm I'm kind of with you. Narratively, that movie doesn't quite do it for me um but like the movie is so I I just so visually alive uh you know and and because it is just smaller and I I have to double check one thing I did like about the movie as well not to get too Mm off beat but the DP of the movie uh Kerwin Devonish he Mm -hmm. like I was looking through and it's like he he started as like a film loader on one of Spike Lee's movies and then like worked his way up to the different um to the two, two different aspects and gaffing, and then and then was a DP on this movie. So, going back to that conversation of like, you know, he likes the people he works with, and will continue working with them, and then giving someone like that a chance at the the big position is awesome. But, um, but I mean, Red Hook Summer to to me, that movie is carried pretty much on the sole shoulders of Clark Peters. Um, oh my like, gosh, I mean, he is
2: God. phenomenal! Okay. Like, is this so is probably. Good his best work like he was so phenomenal in red hickson
0: so good and and that's what like i i think the movie maybe would have done better i mean i don't want to you know i mean they were some first time i think some first time performers the two the two kid performances were a little and not as good um i guess or maybe not just not on just not on the same level um as clark peters but um if those performances were a little stronger i think maybe it would have gone with the movie or maybe if there wasn't a certain reveal in the last third of the movie that's maybe not handled as well as it could be but just but like peters is just so good uh and he's i mean his
2: son is in it jackson lane
0: oh really oh yep as the kayak kid um (laughs) i'm looking on imdb here but um i mean and peters is good in defy bloods too but this is this is just yeah uh,
2: he's he has a tour de force performance in the in this movie in red hook summer
0: so good so good and then and then the sweet blood jesus i guess similarly is is another one of those it's it's just like similarly like so beautiful to look at very idiosyncratic very unapologetically spike um but, but also, you have
2: no idea what's going on yeah, no, think, or, why, or why it's going on rather.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's how I, yeah, ex- I agreed. I, that, one, that one, I was just like, well, I like looking at it and I like oh. the atmosphere of the movie. Um, but yeah, that one I, I, I wasn't quite sure about either.
2: Yeah, it's so beautiful and the way he contrasts, like when, you know, the way he contrasts the different scenes when he's in the city and when he's out, you know, it was great. Like the, that part of it, I just couldn't look away. Everyone is kind of stunning, but I'm just like, I have no idea why you wanted to tell this story.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there on that one. Um, And then I guess the last one I have on here uh, and is one I just came to recently is, is Passover. Have you, have you guys seen that one? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes,
2: yes.
0: Oh man. That thing was
2: such great acting oh
0: my god it's so raw and so just um just uh completely completely caught me caught me off guard um yeah I just I I really 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 dug that one and that one I hadn't really um until I was looking up what we're going to do for this episode that one was had also slipped under my radar um I had no idea that it was just a you know just a mo- movie that it just came to prime streaming or just yeah, went from streaming. Prime, yeah. yeah a couple years ago but it um yeah i i was i was pretty pretty taken aback by this one
1: oh yeah. the performances are well theater you know that's what i love about theater you can't phone it in no you know you, you gotta reach everybody not just the people in the front the people in the cheap seats have to feel it too and you you can't again because we're all like hanging on the words. And I thought he he captured it beautiful. You know what I mean? And it gives people an opportunity to have a theater experience without having to shell at the theater money. And um, I think he's very good at that. He is a way. And again, I think because he 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 loves. Telling stories, and this is a this is a play very close to probably a lot of stuff he's experienced, subject matters that he has covered, but um, and I was really excited that he was doing this.
2: It's like his Rodney King one,
1: yeah. Uh, so
2: yeah, I thought um, I gave me a waiting for um, waiting for Godot type of feel, yeah.
1: yeah. I'm the only one because I'm thinking of I was surprised I'm looking up the actor's name who was in um a show that I enjoyed um yeah he did this
2: Passover after Rodney King he
1: he did um oh my god I can't believe I'm looking up the name uh the one actor was on Sherlock on CBS right and, oh
2: yes you're right yeah. so he, plays, uh, he
1: was the third co-star like, yeah and play- the thing about it is on um, you know when you play a cop like his character i think it wasn't until what is it the fourth season mm-hmm. where he finally started going through some stuff mm-hmm. and you're like you know what i mean you don't get a good inkling of who he is and what he's capable of and with this play you're like oh and you're like oh god there's he's so underused um but it's really but you know you get to show how good he is and um that's what i was happy about and i'm looking for the actor's name cuz i hate when you mention somebody and now <laughs> everybody's going to be like cuz i don't want to refer to him as the black eye on 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 sherlock that fights with him <laughs> but um it's it really is Like theater is just, again, I love that about theater. It's
2: a Steppenwolf thing. So, you know, it's going to be good. Yeah.
1: And again, um, people really undervalue how hard it is to do something really great continuously. Not like, you know, where again, you can have a bad day on set and they can fix it or they can paste it together in, in editing. But with this, um, and again, he's always titled. It's John Michael.
2: Things. His name is John Michael Hill.
1: There we go. And you know what? We were talking about this. It might have been, we might have done it in the group trap mm-hmm. where he somehow, and I don't think it's, he sits there and, and plots it. Lee always seems to put his hand on a piece of work that coincides with what is going on politically oh for sure always and that play is a good example yes absolutely i, I really like that i'm glad i'm glad you put that on the list i hope when people listen to this podcast they revisit it because it is um, well
2: revisit it see it for the first time ever yeah,
0: that's true <laughs> most people will need to be seeing it for the first
2: time
1: I was trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you know, you saw it. You didn't sit through it all. Maybe this time, you'll sit through the whole thing. You
0: know. Highly recommend they do, and it's only seventy minutes long too. So, like, that's perfect.
2: It goes by fast because they're the acting is very compelling.
0: Absolutely. That's that 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 was. uh, I, I don't always check the time I get like on a movie, especially when I'm into it. I do if it's a little late at night, um, mm-hmm. which is whatever night this week I watched it. Um, I, I did that and I was like, oh, there's only 10 minutes left. Oh my God. Like <laughs> it flew You're by. Like, it's
2: already over. <laughs> Dang.
0: Um exactly. And I guess that's the last thing I would I would point out uh, as we start to to wrap this episode up is most of the movies that we discussed on this episode are streamable for the most part um and they're they're most of them are on a streaming service um so they're they're really easy to find um i think the only movies of his when i was doing my watch through in the last two months i think the only ones you couldn't find on streaming are girl six which i've still yet to see um
2: oh you haven't seen girl six that'll be interesting watch it
0: it is the only now is the only narrative of his I have not seen, so I, I do mean to check it out. Uh, fortunately, our local video store has reopened for curbside, so I will probably give that okay. a shot here shortly. Um, and then Jungle Fever and Bamboozled weren't streaming, but I, the oh, yeah. Kino Lorber and Criterion respectively oh. just put out Blu-rays of both of them, um, oh, so wow. I was able to get them. Yeah,
1: I mean uh, both are. Um definitely worth um, visiting, you know, especially Annabella Scoria. I mean, everything that she has gone through, um, we, we sometimes forget that she's a very capable actress, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and good to see her doing, working again, you know. Absolutely. Has,
2: has um, I mean, I don't, I don't ever think of any Spike Lee film where you're like, well, some people. Probably when you think of his actors, you're most of them are very are powerhouses, you know, like I mean most of them he doesn't really have too many poor performances
0: no i can't I can't think of any i i guess and and like I said, it wouldn't be fair the only ones i thought of or mentioned were maybe the the kid performances yes. red hook Summer. Just, that's about just it
2: starting out so. yeah, you're just
0: starting out exactly and that's not fair but then on the flip side you you have a movie like crooklyn and all those oh my performances are phenomenal. Oh. oh my god yes.
1: so good. and also the fact that he made this little you know and we don't get enough and I, it might have been mercedes i mentioned this um we don't get enough a colleague mercedes is a colleague um that movie does not get enough credit because we don't have a lot of black family films, you know, where you get to see day to day life and this family loves each other. And the perspective is from that little girl and she is phenomenal in this film, you know, and I'm a seventies baby. So a lot of the themes in that film resonate with me wholeheartedly, you know, but I really, I, I like that film a lot. And, and I'm, definitely recommend people
0: to look at crooklyn oh i love it it's it's one of my favorites and that was the first i think that was the first film of his i saw or at least where i noticed where he does when she goes to visit her family outside of new york yeah. and and the the camera like it shrinks and it like, yeah, yeah and it looks like and it, like they look more like stick figures yeah. i I had to, uh, I was like trying to recalibrate my TV. I was like, wait, there's something just happened with the, with the with the copy that I have and then I I don't remember if it was if I was if it was he got game I was rewatching um but there there was another film I noticed he did that and I went, "Oh, okay. Okay. This is this is a technique. I I get it. I get it yes, now." <laughs>
2: yeah. It's a technique for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, he doesn't
2: do it as much anymore, though.
0: No, I haven't noticed that in in quite some time, or at least like chronologically going through his movies, I haven't noticed yeah. that. Yeah. Um, cool. Do you guys have any other thoughts, uh, either on *The Five Bloods* or any of the movies we talked about, or any other Spike League movies we didn't talk about before we wrap this episode up?
2: Yeah, I just want to. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, I just uh, he's a living icon. Like, he's not even just a living legend. I mean, he's an icon.
1: Yeah, he is, and I think, you know, a a lot of people, I think it's a blessing, and it says a lot to about you as an artist. When you came into the game in your 20s, and now he's 63, I want to say, and he's in his fourth decade of making films, and we still care. Like, this movie's coming out on Friday, and we're excited about his work, and we're talking about this work that this might be he's still giving us new looks. And there are a lot of people who, who, who've been doing it for as long as he has, but we're not necessarily as tuned in. We are always, uh, we might not always feel, you know, we might not always like everything that he puts out, but whenever he does put something out, our attention is there. Well, I and think uh, you said we still care.
2: I think the difference is he still cares.
1: True. True. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, that's understood because you can, you can show when he talks about a project, it's like his delight goes on. Right. And he gets very energetic. It's like a big kid. And so I think that's amazing. You know, that, and obviously when you're that passionate about your work, it carries over to every facet and and into the people that you work with and everybody cares. And I think, um, like you said, Rhonda, he, the actors that work with him, love working with him. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Well, here, here. I don't think there's a better statement or spot to to end this episode with that. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on and guesting. Um, and before we sign off, uh, I'll start with you, Rhonda. Where can people find more of your work online?
1: Oh, well,
2: I mean, if you go to muckrack.com, they do a good job of pulling my all my stuff together because I write for so many people. So I would put my name, Pen Rice, there aren't that many of us. So P-E-N-R-I-C-E and go to muckrack. And then you can follow me on my socials at at R-O-N-D-A-R-A-C-H-A on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Awesome. And Katya, where can people find your work?
1: You can find all of my work, even when I've written for other people, at cupofsoulshow.com. And, you know, there's links to when I've worked with other people. And um, my personal is at Katia, K-A-T-H-I-A, Woods, like Tiger Woods. And I'm the same person on everything.
0: Awesome. Uh, People can follow me on Twitter at ryolly 90 It's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. And before we wrap up, just a reminder, this show is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcaster of choice, be it SoundCloud, be it iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, Spotify, however you get your shows. And you'll get this program as well as our other shows, including Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Indie Beat, and anything that pops up on our feed from time to time. Thank you again for listening.